Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So anybody listening to this podcast, just remember, tragedy is not competitive. So... What I mean by that is, you know, people would always walk up to me after I speak and I say, well, I, I can't think of anything worse, worse than 220 stories falling on the World Trade Center. And I said, don't compare that to whatever you're going through. If you had a car accident, you lost a loved one, or, you know, uh, you're dealing with fighting cancer. At that moment in your world, it, you might as well have the World Trade Center falling. It's what we do with ourselves. So it's important to remember that don't compare tragedies. You know? So don't take that, hey, the soldier got blown up by IED and you had a bad car accident and you're having nightmares and dealing with things. That just because that person got blown up and you were in a car accident, his tragedy is more important than yours. No. What's happening in your world is important. And I want people to understand that. And one of the things I learned that day is, you know, we think, especially as guys, you know, we're macho. We're going to save the day. And sometimes you do, but you're not going to save the world. It takes a collective effort. You know, we went in to try to help people. We found ourselves in distress and other people came in to help us. And that's the main point of the movie World Trade Center. You're going to see how together we can survive anything, you know, and we need to bond together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Impact Outdoors podcast. And today we are joined by a real American hero, Mr. Will Jimeno who some of you may know him from the World Trade Center movie Oliver Stone directed and and uh, will survive 9-11. He was uh, one of the first responders that was trapped under the collapse of both the World Trade Center towers and uh, made it out that day and, uh, you know, is a hero for what he did. But he's also been a hero to so many after um, what happened on that tragic day in our country's history and 
and um, speaking about his story and sharing that with people and, and reaching people who are struggling with PTSD from their own events and crisis they've went through in their lives and stuff. And, and he's just done such a good job um, delivering that message over the years. And now he's got a couple of new books out. Um, so we had a great chat with Will about those things and plus talked a little hunting and uh, how this past season went for him and how um, what all he's doing getting ready geared up for turkey season this year. So let's jump right into this week's episode episode with Will Jimeno. So, uh, well, man, I can't tell you, I'm very honored and grateful to have you on the show. We've got Mr. Will Jimeno on with us today here at Impact Outdoors. And Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, how are you doing today? Doing good. Busy, but but good. You know, like I always say, I'm blessed. I'm walking and talking, so it's a good day. Yeah. So well, where are you at right now? Are you currently still living in New Jersey or where? Uh, yes, I currently living in uh, Chester, New Jersey and uh, waiting for spring and spring turkey season again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can hear him gobbling already. So yep. so how, how far um, do you hunt for turkeys pretty close to where you're at there at home or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been blessed. Uh, we moved out to Chester, New Jersey, which is in Morris County. So we're about an hour, a little bit over an hour away from New York City. But uh, I always laugh because, you know, I've been blessed to have so many good friends, especially from the, the Midwest and the South, uh, come up here and visit and hunt with me. And, you know, they land in Newark, New Jersey, which, as most people, you know, kind of identify Newark and that area with like the Sopranos. You know, it's the, uh, you know, urban city, urban jungle. And, you know, we get 15, 20 minutes away from uh, Newark, New Jersey, heading up uh, I-78 uh, toward my house. And, you know, next thing you know, it's just beautiful rolling hills, uh, white-tailed deer on the, on the side of the highways. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, we are called the Garden State for a reason. We do have a lot of farms. We're not just the inner city, urban areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I get to hunt turkeys in, uh, in Chester. I get to hunt nice. white tails in Chester uh, and big, big black bears uh, in Chester. So uh, I'm, I, all my spots are pretty much the furthest spot I have maybe is about maybe 20 minutes away. Pretty much all my spots are probably 10 minutes from the house. Dude, you're very blessed. <laughs> yes. yes <laughs> so I my, my dear lease is about five and a half hours from here, but I live in Texas. So everything's five hours away. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, well, man, that's that's really cool to know that you get to do that and, and so close and stuff. And uh, um, I take it you're, you're are both your daughters? Do they hunt with you? Or I know you said you've got a hunt coming up with one of your daughters. I think or yeah. So both my daughters uh, are very proficient with uh, firearms and they, they both shot the bow. But my youngest is the one that took to really hunting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, her thing is turkey hunting, so I enjoy that time with her. Uh, she's not interested in whitetails. Took her for a, she had a Boone and Crockett bear that she just didn't shoot. She had the right shot, but her interest lies in turkey hunting. So I always tell people, you know, I don't push my kids when it comes to I don't need to. I just spend the time that uh, God's given me with them and what they like to do. So my youngest, Olivia, loves turkey hunting. So I'll be heading down to Auburn, Alabama here uh, the beginning of April and uh, meeting nice. up with her to go on a turkey hunt and uh, spend some good times with her down, down south. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I just got back from Nashville. We was down at the NWTF convention last week, and uh, I took uh, my friend who, who actually lives right next to me, my neighbor, and uh, he doesn't do a lot of turkey hunting. And, man, I think he, he's probably been hearing turkey calls in his dreams ever since. <laughs> man, you, know, you go to that show, and it is all turkeys. Yes, so. great show. You know, 
I, I miss not going down there. I enjoy my time when I did go down, but uh, absolutely just great people, uh, great yeah. show and great atmosphere. Yeah. Nothing like the hunting community and the fishing community, man. I mean, everybody's family and just, you know, everybody's kind of got that common core of values and, and stuff and, and just uh, want to be out with friends and conservation and family and all that. So I love being around those kind of people. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and listen, you're talking to a Spanish kid grew up in Hackensack, New Jersey. I didn't start hunting till I met my wife. Uh, I mean, I think I was like 24, 25 when I started. I wish I I would have known that earlier in life, but uh, the hunting community has accepted me. And uh, as you will, as a, as a Hispanic person, it don't matter if you hunt. And I've shared camps with so many people from different backgrounds, uh, different skin color, uh, ethnicities. And the basic thing is if you're in a hunting camp or you're fishing or you're trapping, uh, we're all one family. And that's just a beautiful, beautiful thing about uh, the outdoor uh, lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, um, as we do in most of these shows and, and uh, why don't you give us a little bit of rundown of kind of, you know, where you, where you came from and with your family in Columbia and stuff and, and uh, kind of up, up to, up to, I guess, you know, what happened, you know, people aren't familiar with you. You, you did survive nine 11 and, and went through that event. And uh, um, a lot has came out of that for you personally, that I think has affected probably millions of people across the world now through your message and stuff, but just kind of give us a background where Will Jimeno's from and, and uh, we'll uh, kind of get to what you're doing now. Well, I was born in uh, Barranquilla, Colombia. I always tell people, if you know who Shakira is and uh, Sofia Vergara, that's where I was born in Barranquilla, <laughs> Colombia. Unfortunately, I'm not as good looking as both of them, but uh grew up there. Uh, the first, I didn't grow up there. I actually was born there. And then uh, my parents, like many immigrants had a dream of coming to the United States and, uh, my dad came over in 69, uh, established himself. He was a, a welder, you know, blue collar guy. America was booming, a lot of work. He came over, like I said, a year ahead, set up everything. Then my mom, uh, Emma, and uh, came here and met my dad, William. My, you know, my dad's name is William. My mom's name Emma. And uh, they brought me here at two years old. Uh, flew in legally to Kennedy Airport. Uh, and we settled uh, 12 miles outside New York City in a town called Hackensack, New Jersey. Um, great upbringing, you know, um, I eventually had a baby sister, Karen, she's four years younger than me, who was born here. Um, and just a great upbringing. My parents worked very hard. My, like I said, my dad was a welder. My mom was a beautician. Um, and they worked really hard and they wanted the best for us. So, um, they put us through Catholic school from kindergarten, to eighth grade. Um, then I went off to Hackensack high school where I played soccer. Uh, and one of the things that my mom and dad taught me was that, you know, this is the greatest country on earth. Uh, they love Colombia and they always taught me to bring the good things of our heritage as a Colombian to make this country a melting pot better. You know, she said, um, you're not, no one's better than you, not because of their skin color, where they come from. It's about the amount of work you put into something, the way you represent our family, our culture. And my mom, who to, to this day has a <laughs> tough accent. You know, she still takes classes on English. Now, you would think a woman who's going to be 76 years old, why is she still practicing English? Because she wants people to understand her. She always said, we're going to fly the American flag. We're going to learn English and we're going to do the best we can to make this country better. And that that really that really resonated with me. And, you know, my high school years, um, I was always someone that was growing up watching war movies, just really uh, captivated by the heroism that I saw on television from American soldier, Marines, airmen, you know, uh, sailors. 
Um, and then when it was time to graduate high school, you know, I had a decision. Uh, I was playing good uh, in soccer. I could have went to college to play soccer. Uh, and instead, I just felt like, you know what, I, I want to give back to this country. Uh, I ended up joining the U.S. Navy, uh, served four years in the Navy uh, as a gunner's mate on the LPH-10 Tripoli. Uh, had just gotten off uh, when the first Gulf War started, and she's the ship that got hit by the mine uh, back in, in, uh, in the initial uh, war. Uh, thankfully, everybody was okay, uh, you know. But I came home, and one of the dreams I had growing up was just to become a police officer. I loved helping people. And when I got out of the military, I went to Burn Community College. And up here in the Northeast, uh, law enforcement is a very good paying position. Uh, and it's one that's tough to get into. Uh, long story short, uh, it took me six years, six years of trying to take test after test. Um, you know, during those six years, I met my beautiful wife, Allison. Uh, we ended up getting married, um, had a little girl named uh, Bianca. And I'll be honest with you, it was like the sixth year I almost gave up on, you know, I was doing well in the private sector. I was working in uh, private security and I was going up the ranks in that. And um, but I got a call for the Port Authority Police of New York and New Jersey. So the Port Authority Police of New York and New Jersey is a bi-state agency that has all the bridges, the tunnels, um, the airports, uh, the ports here in New York and New Jersey. So we're cops on, in two states. And at the time to get on that police department, you had to take a test. Uh, and I remember when I took that test on just on my side of the river, I think they were saying there was maybe 15,000 people. And then on the other side of the river, there was probably another 15,000. Uh, and they were only going to put in like 80 people. Uh, but I remember taking that test. And then finally, I got a package for it. And I couldn't believe it. Uh, so I was on my way. Then I had to get through the whole process, which I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and about 80 of us were selected to go into the, the 100th class, the centennial class. Um, and that, that was tough because at that point, I had to spend uh, five days a week uh, at Seagirt, where the New Jersey State Troopers um, uh, go to their academy. And, you know, by this time, I'm 33. I had a wife. I had a little girl. But I knew that was my meal ticket to taking care of my family and achieving my dream as a police officer. So I uh, went through the academy there. You know, did six months because we're cops on both sides. So you need to know uh, the, the laws in both New York and New Jersey. So it's a longer academy. Uh, and again, had to stay there during the week, Monday to Friday. So I wasn't with my family. Uh, but then we graduated January 19th of 2001 at the World Trade Center at the Marriott. Uh, and it was a big deal. Again, we were the 100th yeah. class. And I just remember that day thinking, man, I achieved my goal. You know, I, I'm a police right. officer. And that was, that was just a great, great time. I, I got assigned to the Port Authority bus terminal in Midtown Manhattan. So for those that don't know, the bus terminal in Midtown Manhattan is owned and operated by the Port Authority uh, and protected by the Port Authority police. It is the largest bus terminal in the country and actually the busiest in the world. Um, and we were sent off there. 50 of us went there. Uh, the rest went to all the different commands. Uh, the commands we have is the bus terminal, the, the George Washington Bridge, the Gotham Bridge, the Holland and Lincoln Tunnel, uh, you know, the World Trade Center is ours, Brooklyn Piers, the PATH train, which runs from New York to New Jersey. So all those major transportation facilities. And one of the things we got taught while we we're at the academy was you're going to do the same cops as the NYPD and as well as all the municipal departments here in New Jersey, because there's every department, every town has their own department here. And of course, we have the New Jersey State Police. But the difference between us and all those other departments were we have to deal with terrorists because in 1993, we were attacked and we were taught that that all our facilities are target rich environments. 
So if the terrorists are going to want to kill people, where are you going to go to? You're going to go to where there's the most people. Well, think about it. On a busy day at the George Washington Bridge in the morning, there's thousands of cars coming over that bridge. You know, at the airports on a busy day, you have thousands of people. And the bus terminal, just the bus terminal alone, I can't tell you how many thousands of people come through that bus terminal every single day during the week. So we were taught that our, our job is unique in that aspect, you know, and we're the first responders, God forbid, a plane goes down or anything happens at the tunnels, the bridges, we're there. Yeah. So, but I achieved that dream and I got sent off to the bus terminal. And I, I, I got to tell you, I loved it. I loved it. I was a worker. Um, I was, um, I was blessed to be around some really good senior cop that um, busted my chops heavily, heavily, <laughs> but taught me how to be a police officer. And, you know, um, the bus terminal are two humongous buildings right smack in the middle of midtown Manhattan. And I cannot express to you what happens within those buildings. You know, there's just, it's a world within itself. And, you know, from gang members to gun calls to domestic violence to all kinds of stuff, uh, I was living my dream, you know, but most importantly, I was helping people. And that's the one thing I tell people was, uh, for me, was helping people. And I had that opportunity those nine months leading up to September 11th, I learned a lot and gave a lot to people uh, through my service to the community of both New York and New Jersey. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, so nine months, you were on the job nine months before that. Yeah. Happened. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was blessed in those nine months. Like, again, I was surrounded by a lot of people, um, you know, and I look back now and what I did in nine months, you know, there are. Uh, and not, you know, downplaying anybody, but there, you know, I did a lot in nine months that in some communities, thankfully, a police officer doesn't have to do, you know, yeah. but uh, w you got baptized by fire. You know, New York is New York. Uh, unfortunately, today, New York is even worse, uh, you know, but uh, even back then it was it was a challenge. Uh, but it was, a you know, it's something we love to do. I never thought of, of going to work as work. I was really living my dream, you know, so that's, uh, you know, leading up to September 11th, uh, that's my life, you know, yeah. and in the meantime, you know, still enjoying my, my beautiful wife, my little girl, uh, Bianca, and, you know, the outdoors, that was a big part of my life ever since I met Allison. Wow. So, you know, you said earlier that you got, um, you got in honey kind of late in life, having come over here and, and uh, so when did that start? How the heck did that even opportunity even arise for you? Yeah, so uh, I met I, I met Allison, and um, I was trying to get her to go on a date for a while, <laughs> and uh, we were working together. She finally said yes. We went out, and I think it was, uh, you know, leading up to our third date, I said, hey, you know, being a uh, prior military in the Navy, I was a gunner's mate. Again, you know, that's what I work with was weapons, small arms, as well as uh, the big guns on the ship. I thought I would impress her. I said, hey, why don't I want to go shoot a, a gun, a handgun? She goes, well, I've never done that. I said, great. My real theory was it'll be great to go take her and bond with her and get to know her more. But at the same time, you know, I'd be able to get my hands around her to, as she shot, you know. And uh, I, had a, I remember it was my first handgun that I had bought uh, for my personal use. It was a, a 9 millimeter Beretta 92 full size, you know, stainless steel, pretty gun. And uh, we go down to the range and, you know, being macho, showing her everything, do this, do this. Uh, so I put the target out like at 15 yards and I gave her a magazine with 10 rounds. And I said, all right, do this, do this. I put my arms around her. So I was happy. And I said, all right, just do that. You know, everything I told you, man, she squeezes out 10 rounds and she puts a group in like, like, like this 10 rounds like that. It's her first time shooting a handgun. 
And I'm like, wow. I'm like, you're really good. And she goes, well, you know, I've learned to shoot. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, well, I, I shoot archery. And I said, wow, that's cool. You know, because when I was in the Navy, I had a chief, Chief Barton, that was trying to sell us a compound bow. But, you know, he said, hey, does anybody want to buy my compound bow? And I'm not using it. And I was really intrigued by it. But I'm like, okay, so if I buy this, where do I go learn about this? You know, I yeah. had nobody to teach me. So she said, would you like to learn? I said, yeah. So, you know, as time progressed, I got to meet her dad, Paul, God rest his soul, because we lost him in 2016. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, they accepted me. And I remember going up to uh, a 3D range with them uh, and she allowed me to shoot her bow. And I was just, I was just taken back by it. I was like, this is so cool, you know, and I started getting into it. And she'll tell you, I'm the kind of guy, like when I get into something, it's like full bore, I'm going, you know, I want, I want to learn as much as I can. And back then I just started getting my hands on VHS tapes, you know, from, you know, of course, Mossy Oak, uh, you know, uh, the, the Drury Brothers, right. uh, I just, everything, you know, this is back 1992, I met her. Uh, and the videotapes were just starting to come out. I mean, it was back then on cable TV, there was TNT. Mm -hmm. It was a TV show, uh, a cable network, TNT, and that's where they would show the shows, yeah. you know, all the hunting shows. And I was just intrigued by it, you know. Yeah, that, uh, was that, really started. Yeah, I remember uh, it was like TNN, I think, wasn't it? Was oh, like yeah. The TNN, Nashville Network. TNN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, TNN, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, not TNT. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you what, I just could not get enough of it. You know, I was buying VHS tapes. I was watching every weekend TNN and whatever other station uh, you know, and uh, I ended up saving my money and buying my first bull, my first bow, which was a Hoyt. And uh, I saved my pennies because, again, I was going to school. I was working part time. Uh, so it wasn't like I was cashed up or anything like that. So I had to save for like six months to buy a new bow. My first bow I bought off uh, my father-in-law. He sold me an old Hoyt Spectra. And that's what I was shooting with fingers. I remember just shooting fingers. And it was just it really just became a lifestyle for me. I just enjoyed shooting the bow. Uh, and uh, they were the ones that really introduced me to it. So that's how I got wow. into bow hunting. That's, uh, that's quite the story, man. Yeah. <laughs> you got an outcome that you didn't think you were going to get out of that, out of that date. Well, so. I think, I think Allison will tell you uh, she regrets sometimes. Again. <laughs> Trust me. There's days that she's just like, how many more mounts can we put in this house? You know? Yeah. 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 I've got a, a my daughter just turned eight uh this month and uh she has been i've been taking her hunting with me you know a lot since she was probably four just going mm -hmm. with me in the last couple of years she's really gotten you know the itch to you know asking is like well when can i hunt and that kind of thing and so we kind of started out with the a little 22 and then we got her a 410 last year so we can try to get her a turkey and uh, didn't work out last year we come really close but um we got her uh, a bow this year um and uh, I got gifted a, a really nice bear youth bow for her. And um, so we gave that to her for her birthday for something to work on this year and kind of get, get in. She's, I mean, she shot a little bit, but nothing, you know, like that. So yeah, you that's know, cool. kids, man, their eyes just get so big, you know, it's so cool as a dad getting yeah, to see absolutely. them get excited about something. And she loves like, she's playing soccer now and stuff, just like, you know, your daughter and, and uh, I mean, just as dads, I mean, just, just the, that's the best. Well, I tell everybody, you know, try to bottle that up, try to bottle it up because uh, it just goes by so fast. And yeah. I can't express to people that 
those moments you're having, it's just, it's priceless. It really is. So yeah. uh, anytime I can do stuff with my girls, I try to like capture. It's like everyone, when like I'm Bohan, I tell people, you know, one of the things I wish that I can capture is every sunrise, every sunset, because I know one day I'm not going to have that. And it's just, it's priceless. So the kids, you know, being able to pass down uh, a great American tradition uh, of hunting, fishing, trapping is just priceless. Yeah. Yep. So, well, I guess, um, you know, if, if you want to touch on, we all know what happened on nine 11 and uh, a lot of people have followed your story and kind of know what the, I guess the gist of what happened and being trapped and everything and probably seen the movie and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, looking back on that event now and seeing what, what you're doing, like speaking and with the books that you've got that I want you to talk about and stuff. It's like, I know you didn't see that coming back then, you know, I mean, this, I mean, it just changed your life forever, but I mean, what does that make you feel like now looking at what you've been able to accomplish since, since 2001? It, it, it makes me feel like I'm still a cop. It makes me still like I'm giving service. You know, again, I tell people I never set out to speak. I never set out to, to, to write a book. Uh, it was 2003. I still wasn't walking right when my neighbor next door came over and said, Hey, would you come to our school? You know, we got uh, third, fourth and fifth graders that, their parents are saying they're afraid to get on planes. And uh, you got to put yourself back in, in, at this point, 2003, we had just been attacked two years earlier. Uh, you know, I'm, I know for any young person today, listening to your podcast, you know, um, you, you have to put yourself back in that time period. You know, kids were scared. People were scared. You know, they're always thinking, Hey, these terrorists, they can take over other planes. Uh, you know, it was real. You know, we, we lost almost 3000 people in that dark day, you know, uh, uh, just at the world trade center. Not to mention the Pentagon and Flight 93, yeah. you know, so we lost a lot of people. It was real. You know, uh, I tell people, if you're listening to this today, it's as real as what's happening in Ukraine right now. You know, yeah. there are people dying. Uh, so you can't, I couldn't blame anybody for being scared, but I didn't even know what I was going to talk about. Uh, so I said, yeah, I'll come and talk to the kids. Really didn't know. I put on my uniform. I went there, still walking with a cane. Uh, and it just poured out of me. It's the same story that I've said since that day, I'd still share today, but more importantly is the lessons I took out. And I was actually learning the lessons myself as I spoke, mm -hmm. because I wanted to really touch these children. And, and basically, you know, I told them what happened, uh, you know, I could bring it down to their level. And that's something I've been blessed with, like, depending what age group or what's who I'm talking to, I can bring it down where uh, the bad parts of it, it's not something they're going to have nightmares about, but lessons they learn from. Yeah. You know, uh, the courage of Dominic Pasulo as he passed while still trying to notify someone that we were down there. Uh, the courage of Antonio Rodriguez switching spots with me that ultimately was one of the main factors for, for my survival. You know, my sergeant knowing his job and at the last minute when he saw a debris wall coming at us when the initial building came down and trying to get us to safety. Uh, and then uh, just me, what I found out about myself and being able to survive and how much strong will we all have within ourselves, you know? So that poured out of me. Uh, and I basically shared something that uh, my fellow officer, Antonio Rodriguez's wife, had shared with me not too long before then. Her children were scared to get on a plane. Uh, Antonio Rodriguez uh, had four years on the NYPD before he came over to Port Authority. Uh, and it was originally from Portugal. Uh, they had just come back from Portugal vacation. Uh, and it was his first day tour. So you can imagine how 
devastated his wife was that, you know, maybe one more day vacation, you know, maybe he worked the afternoon, he wouldn't be there that day. But, you know, he's a police officer. And that's our jobs to serve and protect. But her children were scared to get on a plane because they're going to honor Antonio back in Portugal. And she said, we're going to get on that plane. If we don't get on that plane, we allow the terrorists to win because they put fear in our heart. And if we live with fear, we've basically lost. And, you know, I shared that amongst other lessons uh, that apparently touched these children because I started getting feedback through my friend next door on how parents were saying, you brought this 9-11 survivor in. It's changed my child's thinking. They're getting on planes now. They're going to they're not as scared. Now, I'm not saying everybody wasn't scared, but I think I touched enough children that. Wow. And then after that, I guess he shared it with somebody else. And then they started going through school system, through different uh, police departments, and people kept reaching out to me. And it started growing like that. Now, I don't do this for a living, the speaking engagements. I just pick and choose. Uh, and then, of course, in uh, 2004, we were approached about uh, doing the, the film World Trade Center uh, by Oliver Stone, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, starring Nicolas Cage and Michael Pena, who plays my, my, my part. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, we were very hesitant about it. You know, we didn't, we're like, what are you talking about a movie? And they kind of sat us down and we said, well, we're the only two. And we didn't know this till the year after the attacks. We're the only two to survive from under the rubble. You know, there was about 18, 20 people survived after both buildings came down. Uh, we were in the epicenter, so we had both buildings fall on us, uh, which is a miracle. Again, yeah. we didn't know until the following year. So we, at that point, kind of talked it over with our wives. Um, they were hesitant. Uh, we didn't want Hollywood to screw it up, but we met a beautiful woman named Deborah Hill. God rest her soul. She's the producer. She actually produced the, the series of Halloween as well as Escape from New York. Uh, she unfortunately died from cancer before the movie came uh, to fruition. But her main purpose was like, your guy's story is a story of hope. You know, and uh, that's why my speech, when I speak today, I talk about faith, hope and love. Those three strong things, you know, having faith, having faith in religion, if you have it. And I don't preach religion, but having faith in yourself and those around you, you know, having hope. You never give up hope no matter what's in front of you and love, having love for yourself and those around you. And uh, we, we, we came to say, OK, we're going to go ahead forward with this film. And they started introducing introducing us to very good people, Michael Schamberg, Stacey Schur, uh, the produ producers. Then they brought in Oliver Stone, who I have a great relationship. I love Oliver. Uh, and people uh, might forget or not even know because some of the younger kids today don't know who Oliver Stone is when I ask them. Well, you know, he's a three-time Oscar award-winning director, but he fought for our country in Vietnam. You know, uh, he was a Marine. Uh, so we had a great collaboration. We were very happy with how the film came out. And uh, one of the biggest compliments we get is from uh, children and younger adults that see the film. And they said, you know what? Uh, on the ugliest day in U.S. history, there was hope. And all we are are vehicles to show what happened that day from being inside the World Trade Center, being the only two to survive from under it, to our families who really represent all those families that were at home waiting for the phone to ring to say, hey, your loved one's coming home. And we were some of the few lucky ones that were able to do that. But to show that the love of what people did to get us home, the love of our teammates that gave their lives, and, you know, our love, my, my love and John's love for our nation to run into those buildings to try to bring people home. 
you know, one of the things I learned that day is, you know, we think, especially as guys, you know, we're macho, we're going to save the day. And sometimes you do, but you're not going to save the world. It takes a collective effort. You know, we went in to try to help people. We found ourselves in distress and other people came in to help us. And that's the main point of the movie World Trade Center. You're going to see how together we can survive anything, you know, and we need to bond together. Uh, you know, so that that movie came to be and then the speaking engagements really started picking up. And, um, you know, the war was really raging 2006, 2007. You know, you really have things going in Iraq, Afghanistan, and we were getting a lot of veterans and soldiers that were coming back from the war. And a lot of them were in universities where I spoke. And I would always make a point to say, hey, you know, who, who, who served? And I would just say, who was in theater? And they kind of knew what I meant. It was like, hey, who was in combat? Because at that point, I was still dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. I was still going through it myself. And I was getting to the point where I learned that I needed to learn how to live with it. And I wanted to share, without really going into it, uh, that they also, too, can live a good life. And I still deal with it today. I tell people, you don't get rid of PTSD. It's something you learn to live with. And it rear, it brings up, it's, it's, it rears its ugly head every once in a while. And sometimes even more for people, you know, and I, I'm talking to everybody out there. If someone's watching this podcast and they're one of our servicemen and women who just came out of Afghanistan, you know, I, I can see where the anger is, where the depression is, where the anxiety is, where we fought so hard and it was a debacle and we lost 13 lives and people feel like I felt angry, you know, uh, but I want them to also know that you deserve happiness. You deserve to have a good life. You know, we give our service to this country and sometimes uh, it doesn't turn out the way we think it's going to turn out. You know, uh, as a young man, I thought, hey, you know, you give your service, uh, your country's going to be behind you. Uh, and not that they're not, but sometimes, you know, we're not perfect. We fall short and uh, we leave a lot of veterans and law enforcement people hanging after incidents. You know, it's kind of like we're moving on and we can't forget the people who have place their lives in harm ways, whether it's military, law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, even doctors and frontline responders. Let's talk about the nurses and doctors that went through the pandemic, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sudden, how many people forgotten what they went through, you know? Uh, they're, they're dealing with PTSD as well. So, you know, I just wanted to be able to share with people what I was learning, which was I went through tragedy. I'm living with PTSD, but I'm fighting hard for a good life. And I wanted that for everybody. And, uh, you know, what really propelled the book was around 2010, I spoke at Fairleigh Dickens University. They had, they had asked me at the time to come back every year to speak to their class. And there was some Marines and Army people who had been in um, uh, Fallujah. And uh, one, of the, one of the Marines came back like the following year, um, heard me speak again, got up. And let me tell you the bravery of this young Marine to stand up in front of a class and say, you know what, listen to what Will said. Uh, it saved my life. And, uh, you know. That meant a lot. And I remember I started crying because I just couldn't believe he's the first person to say such a thing that, hey, by your sharing your story, it had such an impact on my life that it saved my life. And, you know, you can read uh, about him in the forward of the book Sunrise in the Darkness. Uh, and then, you know, up to that point, people kept asking me, do you have a book? Do you have a book? And in the preceding years, people could ask me. And I'll be honest, it wasn't easy. I, I tried to reach out to, I got a, um, an agent. Uh, he went to all the big publishing, book publishing companies. And they like, hey, we love your story, but they made a film World Trade Center about you. Uh, but I was trying to explain, it's not about the movie. 
Yeah, do I share what happened in there for those people, especially new people? Yes, you read in depth as to what happened to our team, to me and my sergeant, how we survived, what helped me survive. But I wanted to teach them about the recovery period. The When I get home and there's no more cameras on you, nobody's calling you. It's just you, your family, and your mind and everything you had to see and suffer, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, I got up. Finally, it was, you know, the 20th anniversary was coming up. And I said, well, I don't have a book yet. I, I really need to do something. So I uh, had shoulder surgery um, uh, just before the pandemic. Uh, and uh, I'm sitting there just wondering, man, I'm going to miss this opportunity. Because, listen, at the end of the day, you got to hit the iron when it's hot. And uh, the 20th was a big moment. Yeah. And uh, so I reached out to a friend of mine, Michael Motes from Colorado Springs, Colorado. A uh, good friend of mine, outdoorsman. Uh, met him through through hunting with uh, his brother, Jess Moats. Uh, M.R. James, the famous M.R. James, who started Bow Hunter Magazine, had taken me out to Colorado after meeting him in 2003. Uh, we went out in 2005, introduced to Jess Moats, his brother, who introduced me to Michael Moats. And Michael was a doctor of psychology and uh, just a great, great guy. And I reached out to him and I said, Mike, I know you've written a couple books. Uh, I want to write a book. I can speak, but I'm not a great writer. I said, but can we write a book where I talk about my experience and what helped me and what didn't help me and what I suffered and share some really ugly stuff, but have you come in as a psychologist and give some advice for those who are going through, as I call it, a darkness, whether it be PTSD, anxiety, drug abuse, you know, um, anything, you know, alcohol, drugs, um, and help them when they don't want to get help themselves. And a lot of times people don't get help because A, they don't want to talk to anybody. B, they're afraid to talk to somebody. If you're a law enforcement officer and you go talk and they find you to deem you not to be able to carry a gun, you can lose your career. You know, you might have a mortgage, you have a family to take care of. There's so many different reasons why people do not seek therapy. And one of them might be that you go to a therapist and you don't like them, you know, and that happened to me that it took me several people to talk to till I found someone I felt comfortable with. So I tell people, you know, therapists of dime a dozen, keep going until you find someone you're comfortable with to help you, you know, because you owe that to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because what I put myself and my family through with my anger, mine was always anger, my post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it wasn't fair to my family. It wasn't fair to me. You know, and I want people to understand that, you know, I always tell people, uh, you only have so many days on this earth. I use the example as if you're lucky to live till 90, right? You're born part of the time you're in a diaper. If you get to 90, if you're fortunate enough, uh, sometimes you're in a diaper again. So do the math, 365 times 90. It's not that many days on this earth. So you deserve happiness, you know, and uh, that's what I wanted to share with people. You know, one of the things I learned from Mike Motes, which I think is important. So anybody listening to this podcast is remember, tragedy is not competitive. So what I mean by that is, you know, people would always walk up to me after I speak and I said, well, I, I can't think of anything worse, worse than 220 stories falling on the World Trade Center. And I said, don't compare that to whatever you're going through. If you had a car accident, you lost a loved one or, you know, uh, you're dealing with fighting cancer at that moment. In your world, it, you might as well have the World Trade Center phone. It's what we do with ourselves afterwards. Yeah. So it's important to remember that don't compare tragedies. You know, So don't take that, hey, the soldier got blown up by IED 
and you had a bad car accident and you're having nightmares and dealing with things, that just because that person got blown up and you were in a car accident, his tragedy is more important than yours. No. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's happening in your world is important, and I want people to understand that. So um, with Michael's help, and we had University Professors Press out of Colorado back the book up, which is an academic company. They kind of stepped out of the wheelhouse to do this book. Uh, Sunrise Through the Darkness came to be. And, you know, I, I, I shared, you know, the book because, you know, uh, and I'll share this with everybody. This picture means a lot to me, you know, because it's you can see the darkness. You're in a dark place. You can see the sun. You deserve happiness. You see the World Trade Center. And another thing on hunting, how hunting comes into my world this picture was taken by my friend Michael Moltz in Lamar, Colorado, where I shot my first Pope and Young Buck. That's actually the sunrise in Colorado. Uh, people, a lot of people don't know that, but uh, I always laugh. I tell Mike, I said, Mike, even hunting got into the book somehow. Yeah. But there is a chapter in there called uh, Hunting for My Life, which um, it basically talks about how hunting had such a large impact in my recovery. And it, 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 it did, and it still has. Uh, you know, And it's, of course, not the killing of an animal. It's everything that hunting brings to you it's 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 uh you know uh, the love for life really you know getting up going out there experiencing life being out with nature you know being able to find peace uh so the book sunrise to the darkness i'm very very proud of you know i want people to be able to pick it up and read it and the cool thing about it is mike put in exercises in the book so at the end of each chapter if you're a person who doesn't want to talk to somebody you can go through the end of the chapter if you want Mm-hmm. and go through the exercises that Mike has put in there, you know, and we're not forcing anybody to, but what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, I unfortunately uh, had a friend who, who passed in December from taking their own life. And recently we had an officer from my department who was a friend of mine and a classmate take his life. That's what we're trying to avoid, trying to get this book in people's hands who are going through tough times and say, hey, you know what? I want to give you another day, another week, another six months to figure it out before you ultimately make the most terrible mistake of your life that affects not only you, but those people uh, that love you. So Sunrise to the Darkness is a book about just as a human being surviving tragedy and being able to live a fruitful life. And that's what I want for people. I want, and you know, we have so many outdoorsmen and women who have served our country who are going through a lot of tough times today um, and, and, you know, it's just indescribable what we go through, you know, from the PTSD, the, again, some people get into drugs and alcoholism, uh, domestic abuse, and, uh, that can be stopped, but it takes a lot from you to fight for yourself. And that's what the book's about. You know, I had to fight for myself and for my family. And I just want other people to understand that they can also do it. Cause I'm not a special guy. I'm an American that did a job because I love my country, suffered the consequences, but I realized, and it took me a long time to realize that I deserve happiness. And that's what I want people listening to this podcast to understand that you deserve happiness. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you've put everything in those terms because, you know, everybody at some point in their life, I think is going to have a, 
their 9-11 if you want to put it that way you know and um you know being an adult now and having to deal with adult things you know and uh you know this last few years it's like i, I never realized you know how big this covid thing was going to get and how it was going to affect so many people because um it, it's been it's been tough you know and uh you very know, tough lost yeah, some absolutely. lost some friends to to the illness and and to suicide and and just the whole gamut there and, and you just you know, I always tell people i was like you never know what somebody's going through you know when you meet them and don't ever judge somebody you know from the first time you, you run into somebody you know and, and you got to get to know people and and really try to to hear them i mean and that may just be listening to somebody not even saying anything you know and and um i don't know i think some people just if they see somebody going through ptsd or or you know just having some kind of moment they don't know how to handle it you know and, and, and yeah it, it's tough i mean i just tell people look be kind treat yeah. people the way you want to be treated you know just saying hello to somebody opening the door for somebody can change someone's demeanor for the day when they're having a bad time you know it kind of puts them back in perspective of like yeah i'm going through a hard time but you know what doesn't shouldn't prevent me from being a bad person uh, and i know it's tough today tough today because you know sometimes there's days that I, even i think you know man people are messed up and they are but yeah. there's more good in this world than bad. I always say, you know, uh, the news, I tell the kids all the time, if you watch the news too much, you're going to get sucked into that, that, that dark hole of like the world's coming to an end. If they were to start showing all the good news that happens in the world, they'd be out of business. They really yeah. would be out of business. There's more good in this world than bad. And I just want, especially our youth to understand that, you know, it's important for you to pass on the great American conditions of, of hunting, fishing, trapping, and a love for our country because we are the greatest country on earth because of our freedoms, because we have fought for our, our freedoms. You know, I mean, again, perfect example is Ukraine. You got Russia moving in on these people and they're willing to fight for their, their, their country and their freedoms. And uh, we've done that here. You know, I always tell people the American flag is not made out of cloth. It is made out of the blood of patriots, many of which are your family members that are listening to this podcast right now. So we have to make sure that we help people with passing on the tradition of freedom, but also helping each other by all of us who have gone through bad experiences, being able to share with somebody that's going through a tough time, your story, because your story is important too. Just as I feel my story has helped people. I know everyone here uh, has a story or will have a story and make sure you help people by sharing your tough times with people. And sometimes not easy. Listen, you know, I share in the book some really dark things that happened to me and I'm not proud of, but I'm a human being. We're going to make mistakes. And uh, the thing is to learn from the mistakes and become better and not only become better, but help other people along the way. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, that my book Sunrise to the Darkness does. And, you know, just to let you know, uh, you know, I wrote a second book, a children's book that really came out of nowhere uh, called Immigrant American Survivor, a little boy who grew up to be all three. And as you can see, it has me coming from Colombia with the Colombian soccer shirt, but my love for our country as well as the World Trade Center. And in this book, I pretty much go through my life and how I came to this country, how my parents, what we talked to instilled in me, the love for the United States, uh, and then my service in the military and then what happened on 9-11. Because I want to teach children uh, that they too are going to go through things that we all go through, from bullying to following your dreams to coming upon hard times. You know, and sometimes I get worried today that we're coddling our kids too much. You know, the thing that makes strong people are tough times. Tough times don't last. Tough people yeah. do. And as Americans, we have to teach our children that they're going to be tough times. 
but you're going to withstand it and we're going to move forward. Uh, so I'm proud of both books, you know, Sunrise Through the Darkness, as well as Immigrant American Survivor. Uh, and are things that I just feel that as an American, if I can help one person, I've done something special. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's got, it's got to be, I guess it's got to be tough today too, because, you know, we're hiring people at my job where I work. And it's like, you know, they weren't even born when this happened. You know, yeah. it's hard to relate something that happened that was so devastating, you know, and they're like, just they just you know don't understand and how have you dealt with that when speaking with with kids and and, and younger aged adults well, i'll be honest with you the kids are great it's it's us that need to be able to teach them they're they're willing to listen um and i start every speech as i do every single time i'm gonna say look i'm gonna speak i'm gonna tell you a story it's gonna go through one ear not the other i hope you capture something within that speech that will help you three months from now a year from now 10 years from now because that's what you have to do. You have to learn as a human being. I cannot force you to learn things. But if you listen to my story and you listen to what the key parts are, which I let them know, what helped me survive, what helped me recover, how hard it was, but I was able to do it. They're willing to listen, believe it or not. And I understand they might not be able to relate, you know, but as much as I wanted to relate as a child to Pearl Harbor, I learned about it. Could I relate to it? Absolutely not. But I took away the courage from our from our troops, yeah. our sailors. I took away how America survived and that helped me. I would think about things like that. And that's what we have to do. We don't have to make the kids relate to it. They just want me to understand it and learn the, learn the lessons. That was my key part with, especially the children's book, is to teach children. So if, as they read the book, it might come back when they hit a tough uh, roadblock in their life, say, hey, you know what? I remember that book. You know, just how we we were taught on our little books, you know, the little train that could, you know, you keep trying, you keep trying with Immigrant American Survivor. I share stories where a child could say, hey, you know what? Yeah, that kid got bullied. Let me not be a bully. Or if I am bullied, I can overcome it. Let me follow my dreams no matter what anybody tries to stop me. And let me remember that there's nothing I cannot do when I put my heart to it. And same thing with Sunrise to the Darkness. I just want people who are in a really bad place to know they can get out of it. And well, yeah, and they're the future, you know, I mean, they, you know, we really, it's, it's kind of scary because, you know, I've got, I've got two little kids now and what they're going to have to go through and grow up can be totally different than what me or my wife experienced, you know, growing up, you know, going to school in the eighties and nineties and stuff. And, and, uh, as a dad, I think that's something that in, in my wife, you know, I know she struggles with the, are we doing the right thing? Are we raising these kids right to to, to leave a good life and, and be an example to others. So, and that's I what I, tell, I, I tell the kids that you're not, you don't need to be grow up to be rich and famous, grow up to be a good person. And you know what the greatest gift you can give this world are good kids that you raise up to be respectful, yeah. patriotic, and be people that will make a difference in our nation and the world. And I tell the kids this, there's no reason anybody sitting in the room I'm speaking to can't grow up to be the a president one day or cure cancer. Or just be another good parent that raise other good people. You know, I let them know you are each and every one of you my hero because you are going to lead our nation and our world. And to your point, exactly that. The All we can do is be the best we can. And, you know, just that your wife says, hey, am I doing it the best? You probably are because you're questioning yourself. And, yeah. uh, you know, you just try to do the best you can. And you know what's right or wrong. Yeah. You know, my, my dad told me 
you know, by 13, if you don't know what's right or wrong, then I failed as a parent. You know, a child should by that age know this is right, this is wrong. You know, and uh, we, we just can do the best we can, you yeah. know, but you got to try. That's the important thing. Don't be a person who gives up on yourself or your children. Yeah. Well, I want to, you know, I, I got a hold of you, I guess, last week through uh, Lauren, who was Cuz Strickland's daughter. You know, I ran into her at NWTF last week. And, but uh, tell us real quick kind of how your association with Mossy Oak came about, you know, and I mean, that's a, that's a good story. And then, uh, and then let's get an update and kind of how your deer season went this last year. Yeah. You know, um, I was in Kessler Rehabilitation Center in West Orange. So Kessler's famous because back in the day, uh, there was an actor named Christopher Reeve who played Superman and he had fallen off a horse and was paralyzed. And he went to Kessler Rehabilitation Institute, which is world renowned for being one of the best places to rehab in. Um, and I was there and, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, I was really suffering from PTSD. I mean, uh, you know, not to get into that, you can read about it in the book, but I was depressed. I was sad. You know, I was going through the motions on learning to walk again, healing, um, and, uh, you know, between therapy sessions, it was just downtime. My wife saw me depressed. She made a point to reach out to several people, one of which was Mossy Oak. Sent them a letter and basically just said, hey, you know, uh, Will's a big fan of you guys, uh, watches you on TV. Uh, you know, he suffered during September 11th. Uh, and it'd be nice if, you know, somebody would just send him a letter or something like that. Uh, I remember I had come in, in from therapy. I was in bed. I was tired. It was midday. Uh, my wife was there. Um, you know, I had a fellow officer that was assigned to me. I think my dad was in the room and uh, the phone rings and I'm just like out of it. And Allison's talking to somebody. Uh, so she says, well, I, I got somebody to talk to you here. And it was Toxie Hayes and, uh, you know, the founder and owner of Mossy Oak. And uh, I remember her putting him on the phone and he says, hey, you know, with this country voices, uh, you know, it's Toxie Hayes from Mossy Oak. And I don't know what happened to me. I just I just fell apart. I started crying, uh, you know, and it might not be the most macho thing to say, but I just started crying. Yeah. Now I couldn't talk. I also had to take the phone. She goes, can you hold on a second? He's having a moment. And she's like, he's like, well, what's wrong? And he's, she's like, he's just composing himself. So I get on the phone with him and uh, make a sh uh, long story short. Basically, you know, he said, Hey man, you know, what's wrong? And I said, you know, uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to call me. You, I, I know you got to, a major company, uh, you know, it means a lot to me uh, as an American. And he just says, man, but I'm just, I'm just a redneck. <laughs> I said, no, brother. I said, you're an American, you know, and, and you taking the time, you know, I looked up to those guys. Like I told you back then, yeah. you know, it's 2001, the attacks happened. I started getting into hunting in 92 and again, watching the videotapes, remembering yeah. the VHS tape. I, what actually wasn't a VHS. It was on TNN. I'm watching uh, Toxie shoot a whitetail. It, it goes into some pond and cuz is down there in his underwear going in there to get it, you know? And, uh, you know, that meant a lot to me because unbeknownst to us that sometimes even as men, we're watching TV and you start looking up to people like, man, those people are cool, you know? And I thought Mossy Oak was cool. You know, Toxie was cool. Cuz was awesome. You know, cuz came across television. Like he's that uncle that you love so much, you know? And, uh, so at that point that started a relationship and, uh, Next thing you know, I got a package with a lot of VHSs, turkey hunting, uh, Cuz sent me books, and then I get on the phone with Cuz and we talk, you know, and that started a really cool relationship of, of just respect uh, for me, just gratitude, 
Um, and they told me like, listen, man, you know, when you get better, we'd love to take you hunting. And I'm like, really? So I remember, you know, uh, went down there to uh, Portland Landing back at the time when they had it and uh, did a TV show where I shot a beautiful eight point buck down in Alabama. Uh, and, uh, you know, that just flourished our relationship. And over the years, I've gotten close with, uh, you know, not only Toxie, his boys, uh, everybody at the, at the camo cameras. Uh, you know, I've seen guys come and go, and I still have great relationship with a lot of those guys, you know, yeah. uh, from Stephen Bush, uh, Yak Ray, uh, Dusty. I mean, uh, there's the list goes on, you know, to the current guys that are there now, Jake Meyer, um, you know, just a family atmosphere uh, that looks out for them, uh, the, the fellow Americans uh, and promote the best that Otto has, you know, it's, it's, it's like they say, it, it's, it's really something very special. You know, it's, 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 it's not a passion. It's an obsession and it's an obsession, not only for the outdoors, but for our country. Uh, they stepped up when I was really in a bad time and they were there for me and I've always been there for them. If there's anything I could ever do for them. Uh, so that brought me to having such a great relationship because that, uh, going back maybe four years, five years now, when really the attack on law enforcement started, you know, the funding, the police and everything, cuz called me and said, Hey man, you know, we, we want to do something. We want to support our law enforcement officers. And cuz knew that I had been uh, associated with many charities over since September 11th. Uh, and he wanted to make sure that whatever money they raised went to the right place because right. most yeah. people know a lot of charities, you know, they squander the money. How? I don't know. That's for another conversation. But uh, I had been privy to it. I've seen where money is just not going where it needs to go. Um, and I, I was, you know, cautious in who I selected. And I said, cuz, let me let me do some homework. So I reached out to a good friend of mine, Dale Stockton, who's a retired captain at Carlsbad, uh, California. And uh, he had written for law officer and he had been associated with a group Um uh, and uh, that group is a three-pronged group. It's uh, Below 100, which Dale started, which is about teaching officers uh, on motor vehicle stops. We lose so many law enforcement officers to motor vehicle stops. Everyone thinks it's shootings, but a lot of cops get killed right on, on the roadway. It's just doing traffic stops, making sure your community yeah. safe. You know, they, they got another one, um, uh, cops, which is where police officers can talk to therapists and feel comfortable and not going to lose their job. Uh, and the other one was Spirit of Blue, which is... Uh, an organization that uh, gets training and equipment to a lot of departments that don't have like what the Port Authority Police has or the NYPD has are large budgets. People right. might not know this, but there's certain parts of the country where your officer might get uh, on the job there and might have to buy his own weapon, his own uh, vest, maybe not have the right training. You know, I can't express to people how dangerous it is to do a car stop. And some of these people are protect your community your community might not have the funds to send them to the academy right away but get them working you know this is somebody's mother uh you know mother brother father sister protecting your community and maybe they don't have the right training which is important so i i got cuz together with dale stockton uh, and with them uh, uh ryan as cross and they came up with soul uh it's an organization really uh funded by sportsmen and women uh that help uh, our law enforcement community, first responders with equipment, uh, therapy, as well as training. And uh, that was a big plus for me that I was able to put 
Cuz and Mossy Oak together with Dale Stockton and Ryan. And since then, they have this great organization called Soul. I encourage people to check it out. Uh, they do so much good for as many communities as possible, as you know, uh, the funds allow them to. So mm-hmm. it's a great organization. And again, a lot of it comes from sportsmen and women uh, in the outdoors. And I'm very proud to be part of that. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, and I think I heard, I don't remember where I heard about Soul first. It might have been on podcast with Cuz. Um, but, uh, you know, it's definitely something I've been passionate about. And so we, we gladly support support that group and, and what you guys started and what Ryan's continuing to do with that with that program. And uh, it is, you know, and the, the funny thing I think most people would probably be blown away was, you know, like one of the number one things that that they asked for is tourniquets you know something you never think about you think it'd be vests and and firearms or you know tactical gear or something like that but just life-saving equipment absolutely i I mean i had a friend of mine in philadelphia a couple years back uh uh, get shot by a terrorist and uh he was a retired you know he was in the coast guard and he went right for his tourniquet which saved his life you know he was severely shot in his arm and he knew uh well uh, in advance that I got to get to my tourniquet to stop the, the blood loss. And that's what he did. It saved his life. So absolutely. People don't think that, you know, everybody watches too much TV. They think, Hey, guns and this and that it's uh, sometimes it's those small things that departments don't have the budget for to make sure that every officer has tourniquets, that every officer has, you know, med kits uh, to help not only themselves, but the community. Uh, so the more uh, our law enforcement officers and frontline workers have, it really translates into your safety. So uh, supporting organizations like Soul is very important because, again, there's so many communities that just don't have the funds to give their first responders what they need. And, uh, you know, it might be you on the other end of that 911 call needing help. Uh, you yeah. could be bleeding out and you want to make sure an officer can have access to a tourniquet. Uh, so it's a great organization, really is. And, you know, I'm so happy that Cuz and, and Toxie and Mossy Oak stepped up because uh, – They've really made a difference in a lot of communities. Yeah, that's good, man. Good, good stuff for sure. And uh, glad you're a part of it. And uh, and you know, it's something easy. You know, people in the outdoors industry can can rally behind it in in support. And I hope that everybody does. So, um, well, how is uh how's this uh, last deer season? How did it wind up for you? Well, it was tough, but ended up good, to be honest. Yeah. With you. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know. We got hit here in New Jersey with EHD last summer, uh, and we our deer herd, especially here where I live, took a real big hit. I mean, I wasn't seeing mature bucks. Uh, the bucks I was seeing wasn't anything that I wanted to harvest. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I did some speaking engagements. One of the speaking engagements was out of Missouri to a great outdoor group, and uh, one of the gentlemen there, uh, Rudy, was kind enough to invite me to one of his farms to, to bow hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was in October, and uh, I took a really nice Ozark bark there, uh, Ozark buck uh, there with my bow, uh, nice eight pointer. So I was happy about that. Uh, was watching, you know. Now today we have the trail cameras. I use Tacticams, yeah. uh, great, great, great tool to yeah. keep an eye on things while I was away. Um, and I, I remember just visiting my daughter down in Auburn, uh, and uh, I get a picture of a real nice buck here. Uh, but it was a buck that I felt like okay. He's a nice buck, but I know I can smoke him with my compound. And uh, But I've been trying for years to really kill a good buck with my recurve. I've killed one buck before. Uh, and again, great buck in the sense that I accomplished something. But right. it was a half horn. It was winter bow. Um, it was broken. Uh, this was a nice buck. And uh, 
basically, uh, I went after him in November. Uh, odds were against me. It was a warm day. It was a full moon. But I had a feeling about it because I got a, a picture of him in like two in the morning. But I said, let me go sit there. And I hadn't sat in New Jersey at all. And I sat there. And long story short, um, he came out, uh, presented me a shot. Uh, and I took the shot. And uh, you know what? When I walked up on him after about 90 yards, I had to find him. Uh, because at first there was no blood. I thought I messed up, but I, once I found the blood led me right to him, uh, I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I was just like out of my mind. I was like, <laughs> holy cow. Like I killed him with my black widow recurve bow. Uh, I was using, you know, uh, my grim reaper broadheads. I love grim reaper, a great American broadhead company. You know, they've always been supportive of me. I love them. Uh, you know, and here I'm using traditional gear with kind of a modern broadhead right. one of their Hades. Uh, and and I, I mean, I center punched this thing right behind the shoulder that um, I was still amazed. I still amazement of it today, but that really topped off my season that, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Tough season. Wasn't even seeing as many does because we're really inundated with does here in New Jersey because okay. um, they live between homes and stuff. But this year yeah. we really took a hit. So I'm, I'm hoping next year we're going to be able to see some of these younger bucks really sprout up. Uh, but I've hit a point in my life that, you know, it's it's not about the killing. I really, people tell me, Will, you you know, you you don't care about trophies anymore. I'm like, you know, the trophies every single day that I'm alive and I'm able to go out there and experience it, you know, preferably with my daughter. Uh, but, you know, the trophy is being able to do what you love because there's going to be a point in our lives. We're not going to be able to, at least by yourself, pick up your bow, go out there, sit there, shoot a buck you know, and drag him out, you know, even this year with that buck, he was big enough that I needed to call help. I had a friend of mine uh, come out and help me to drag him out. You know, I gutted him and everything, but I needed help to get him in the truck. Yeah. Uh, And, um, you know, that's the other thing. If you're disabled, like I am, I have physical challenges. You have to think outside the box for me. I have, if I, if I didn't have him, you know, it would take me longer to get the buck there just to get him in my truck. I can't pick him up. So I got this contraption that I crank up uh, to be able to put him on the jet sled, bring them up. So it, it takes longer, yeah. uh, for me, but it doesn't prevent me from going out and doing right. what I have to do. So this year, uh, definitely, definitely highlight was uh, the great kindness of people inviting me out in Missouri to hunt their beautiful properties. I mean, I was hunting out of some great redneck blinds. I was like, wow, these things are really cool to coming home and just out of my double bull blind shooting a, a great New Jersey buck. So um, just ecstatic about it. I'm hoping to do it again this coming year. Uh, shoot a couple deer with my recurve, you know, hopefully get a real nice buck. But at the end of the day, it's just about spending time with with myself outdoors and enjoying it as well as friends. You know, that's what I love more about sharing camp. Every time I come back from Maryland with a good friend of mine, Joey down there in Maryland is, you know, listening. Hey, what did you guys see? Tell me what, what you saw. How did you down? Let me hear about your kill. That's the most important part. But this year, without a doubt, uh, my recurve buck was really my highlight this year. Man, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's the best thing about hunting, man, is just sharing camp with people and the stories. I mean, that's, oh, that's it. Yeah, you know, um, I'm kind of the same, I guess, point now too, where I'm just like, I don't really care. It's like, yeah, I want to harvest some meat for the family because we eat a lot of venison, and I'm so glad my kids eat it. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know, it's like I've shot some good animals, you know, whatever. But now it's all about the kids, so. That's, oh, without a doubt. They, they take over. I mean, uh, I still remember my, my, my daughter, Olivia, killing her first bird. I mean, I was just, she even said it. I think you're happier than I am. I was ecstatic. You know I mean? It was just a beautiful gobbler. 
22 pound bird i think like 10 and a half inch beard you know a big uh, one like, yeah oh, one and a half inch spurs i mean it was just you know right here in new jersey right here yeah. in my town you know so it was it was awesome the kids are everything and yeah. uh, we got to remember that uh you know uh, make sure you give the time to, if not to your children to some other kids that uh don't yeah. have the opportunity outdoors get them out there absolutely so well man um i mean i've got you know these books these are awesome um where can people find them i know they're available in different locations tell us well, about yeah, that both books are available you know sunrise through the darkness as well as Amer- immigrant american survivor they're available at amazon.com barnesandnoble.com uh university professorspress.com uh you know ask everybody if you do buy the books you know please give us a good review because your review is going to help other people understand the books uh for the children's book is really Man, I fight with this every day. I just want more people to really love this country. You know, we're yeah. going through a tough time here where we have, for whatever reason, I think we're coming out of it, a, a group of people or entity that just wants to shame us because of our past. Uh, and you know what? We're not the most perfect country in the world, but we're the best. And I want people through the book Immigrant American Survivor understand that this country is so special. You know, and that's why I ask for good reviews because it helps other uh, parents understand how important the book is coming from an, uh, a guy that came from another country if i love this country this much those of us that are blessed to be born in this country should love it even three times more than me yeah. uh and, and sunrise to the darkness you know please leave us good feedback because by your feedback you're going to be able to help other people who are in a dark time and they can read up on the on the um on the comments and say hey you know what that helps somebody and i've had some good comments on there where people can read and say hey yeah it's worth it. You know, we have it on audio as well. So I'm proud of that. Uh, Sunrise to the Darkness is now on audio because I know a lot of people travel and they listen to audio books. Yeah. So it's on audible.com as well. And again, both books, uh, uh, amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, universityprofessorspress.com. And uh, I just hope that the books will, will help uh, anybody that is listening to this podcast. Because again, uh, I'm no different than anybody else. You know, uh, I feel the same. I cry the same. I bleed the same just a human being, just like you. And uh, if I can make it back from tragedy, uh, so can you. And if I can grow up uh, through tough times and, 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 and lead a good life, so can your children. And I want to teach that to everybody. All right, man. Well, um, and I know personally you, uh, you're, you're on Instagram and uh, um, it's wasp, it's wasp archer, right? Yeah. Where did that come from? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny. It comes from hunting. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I actually changed it the other day, and I realized I can't change it because in the book it says Wasp Archer. I noticed. I, I actually noticed that. I got on there and, and it had your name, and I was like, yeah, I because, went and looked. Like, did did you know, and I tell people this. Uh, I don't expect to become a millionaire selling these books. I'm just a normal guy. And I tell people, listen, if you go to my social media, I'm going to speak my mind. Uh I've had groups, you know, want me to be on their boards. I said, just so you understand, because this cancel culture, which I think is going away, because I really think people just sure don't. So. Uh, I, I tell them, listen, I'm not going to change who I am to sell books. Those books are from my heart, what I've experienced, and I want to help people. But I'll speak my mind as an American. Now, I try not to get on there too politically, because I know who cares what this guy's thinking. But, you know, I want people to understand that this is who I am. I'm real. I'm not fake. Uh, I'm going to try to inspire people and motivate people in the right way. I share uh, things with my family. I share inspirational things. That's what I try to do the most with my social media. But I was yeah. going to change it to Will uh, 26, which is my birthday. 
because I was like, man, having that wasp part. And then I read my, my own book. I'm like, oh, wait, it says there's a wasp part. I got to keep it there. But what's a wasp archer is because before I started shooting Grim Reaper broadheads, um, I was shooting wasp archery. I was shooting hammers, the SSTs, which were killer. Um, and that nice. was my first broadheads I shot was wasp archer. Uh, so I made my, my, my email and wasp archer. So it comes from shooting the, the broadhead wasp. But as technology uh, changed and I ended up finding Grim Reaper and having such a relate, re- relationship with them and what those heads do for me, they've never let me down. If they, if anything ever happened, it's because of me. It's not because of my yeah. quick. You know, I tell people, make sure if you're bow hunting with a compound bow, practice, practice, practice. You owe it to the animal, you know, and I keep that in mind. You know, I try to shoot, up, shoot throughout the year and during the season. But that's where wasp archer comes from is from hunting again. And a lot of things in my life are influenced by hunting. Uh, you know, just part of my survival is uh, I credit to uh, bow hunting and being able to say to myself, hey, you're stuck in this hole. You're suffering. But, you know, think about it like you're getting up in a stand at first light and hunting all day till 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 dark. You know, I kept thinking of that to yeah. try to keep myself motivated. And you're going to find that in the book Sunrise to the Darkness, I share the things that help me through uh to stay alive during 13 hours being buried alive and you know are things that you can relate to yourself in your life god forbid you're in a tough situation so uh i just want to thank anybody who picks up uh either of the books and i want to thank you for taking the time to have me on your podcast and i just hope that we can touch one person's life if we can do that that's something special yeah well man god bless you and your family um, thank you for everything you've done and, and um, um, thanks for being on you know I appreciate you taking the time so I know uh, everybody's got busy schedules these days so it's tough finding time to do stuff but uh, you know and um, hopefully my plan next year to get you down here for our Hunt Fish Podcast Summit and uh, um, we got a lot planned for this year and uh, plan on that next year and maybe we can go sneak away and go get a turkey that so, sounds like nothing <laughs> One of the best things in the world is listening to the Thunder Chicken Roars. Oh, man, I, I, I'm hearing it in my sleep already. I'm, I can't wait, man. So uh, April 1st, got to get here quick enough. So, um, but, uh, but, Will, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for being on today. Thanks, man. God bless you. God bless everybody out there. God bless
Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.